Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Good morning. Welcome to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, unbelievers, for people of all faiths and people of no faith and also for people who on this Sunday morning may simply be bored out of their minds and perhaps would like to take a look at the Bible. My name is Patrick Joseph Francis O'Doherty and I'll give you one guess as to where I was born. Well, judging by my accent, uh, you are probably saying to yourself, Scotland or England or one of those places over there. Well, I was born in County Tipperary. Um, That's in the Republic of Ireland. I'm a priest and I am a recovering sinner. I am also the pastor of Queen of Peace Catholic Church on State Road 200. Uh, Being a pastor means that I am the chief servant, the servant of the servants of God. Queen of Peace, um, as I said, is on State Road 200 in Ocala, and that's in Florida, in the United States of America, in the Western Hemisphere, in the world, in the universe, and in the mind of God. While you are getting used to my accent, let me tell you a little story. When I was growing up in County Tipperary, every now and again I would hear my mother say, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Bless the bed that I lay on. Now, I didn't know who Matthew, Mark, Luke and John were, but it was okay with me if they blessed the bed that I lay on. However, last year sometime, I discovered that this little jingle that my mother used to use, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, blessed the bed that I lay on, was part of a bigger uh, little poem that was popular oh, 350 years ago. And the poem went something like, um, And now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. There are four corners to my bed, there are four angels overhead, one to pray, one to watch, two to lead my soul away. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Bless the bed that I lay on. So, hopefully you are used to my accent at this stage. So we'll carry on now with our Bible study for atheists, agnostics, unbelievers, for people of all faiths and people of no faith, and for people who just might want to listen because they're bored uh, on this particular Sunday morning. I imagine when the atheists and the agnostics and unbelievers look at us who claim to be believers in God and believers in Jesus, um, I suppose sometimes you wonder about us because our lives sometimes don't seem to be any different from yours or don't seem to be any different from the lives of honest atheists. In fact, sometimes our lives might be much worse. Uh, You might see people who claim to believe in God uh, 
doing terrible things, shocking things, and, and yet saying that they loved God and believe in God. So the first thing I'd like to say is that the Bible actually says that the devil believes in God and trembles at the thought. I'll take you first now to the first book of the Bible, which is called the book of Genesis. Genesis is a Greek word, and it means beginnings. So the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And in this particular book, you find the story of the beginning of the universe and all that is in it. You also uh, find the story of uh, the first man and woman, the first family. And you also find in the book of Genesis the story of the first Jewish family who were made up of Abraham and Sarah and their child whose name was Isaac. Now, believe it or not, in the book of Genesis it says that, it points out that the devil actually believes in God. We're taking up the story of Adam and Eve, the first family. It says in the scripture that Adam and Eve, when God created them in the Garden of Eden, that they were both of them naked, the man and his wife, but they felt no shame in front of each other. Now, if you'd like to see the exact reference, this is in uh, chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, verse 25. Now, both of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they felt no shame in front of each other. Now, obviously, something has changed and changed utterly because um, we all feel shame. Uh, I imagine that you or I would not stand in front of a large crowd of people and tell them everything we've ever done since our childhood up to the present moment. And I imagine you, like myself, would be dreadfully embarrassed if all of a sudden in a public place your clothes were to disappear and just you, you and you alone stood naked in the midst of a crowd. So uh, something obviously has changed. If the first man and his woman were naked and felt no shame, and we don't, something has changed and changed utterly. Now, we're, we're taking up this notion of the devil believing in God. So I'm reading now from chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Genesis. And it opens up with, The serpent was the most subtle of all the wild beasts that the Lord God had made. It asked the woman, now you say to yourself, give me a break. What is this, a talking snake? Well, the Bible makes no apologies for it. It just says this serpent starts talking to the woman. It doesn't tell us where the serpent came from, and it is only until much later in the Bible that we discover that the serpent uh, is another name for the devil or Satan the accuser of the human race. So the serpent was the most subtle of all the wild beasts that the Lord God had made, and it asked the woman, did God really say you are not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now the Genesis story says that after God created man and woman naked in the garden of Eden, that he did test them. He told them that they could eat of all the trees in the garden except the tree, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the middle of the garden. 
So here comes then this talking snake saying, did God really say you were not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now, do you notice the very second word that the devil used? He said, did God really say? So the devil is not interested in atheists. Uh, what he's looking for uh, are men and women who believe in God and disobey him and go against his law and against his commandments. So when people say to me, Oh, Father, um, I believe in God, I think in my mind, and sometimes I say it out loud, well, you've got something in common with the devil. Now, let me bring you to another text in the Bible. Your standard Bible is divided into two sections. There's the, the Jewish section, uh, if you like, um, where it tells the story of God's dealing with the Jewish people. And then there's what we call the New Testament, which uh, is basically the story of Jesus and uh, all about the teachings of Jesus. Now, in the New Testament, in the Epistle of James, which is in the New Testament, um, there's another section that teaches us that the devil believes in God. Now, I'm going to have to turn some pages here, so I hope it doesn't make too much noise um, on this tape recording. And I'm going to uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. Now, James was the first bishop of the Christian bishop of the city of Jerusalem. And apparently they were having a bit of difficulty in the uh, early Christian church with people who claimed to believe in Jesus Christ, but their lives didn't show it. They, they weren't acting as Christ would act. So James confronts them and he says, Take the case, my brothers, of someone who has never done a single good act, but claims that he has faith, claims that he believes in Jesus. Will this faith save him? If one of the brothers or one of the sisters is in need of clothes and has not enough food to live on, and one of you believers says to them, I wish you well, keep yourself warm and eat plenty without giving them these bare necessities of life, then what good is that? Faith like that, if good works do not go with it, it is quite dead. Interesting, isn't it? It is quite dead. And he's really only talking common sense here. Let me use an example from everyday life. How would you know a banana tree? It would have bananas on it. And an orange tree, it would have oranges on it. Well, how do you know a follower of Christ? A follower of Christ would act like Christ acts. And Christ fed the hungry. He gave drink to the thirsty. He clothed the naked. He visited and healed the sick and the imprisoned. So James then is quite annoyed with people who profess that they believe in Jesus and believe in God and don't act uh, like Jesus acted. So he goes on then and he confronts them and he said, You believe in the one God? Well, that's believable enough. But the demons have the same belief and they tremble with fear. Do realize, you senseless men, that faith without good deeds is useless. Now, what a statement that is, that uh, the devil believes in God, but and anybody then who trots off to church or synagogue on a Sunday morning or a Saturday uh, saying that they believe in God, you've got something in common with the devil. So all true believers 
uh, will show their faith by the way they act. Now I'd like to offer you another dramatic example of the demons believing in God and this time I'm referring you to Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 5. Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee to pagan territory. Um, they reached the country of the Gerasenes on the other side of the lake and no sooner had Jesus left the boat than a man with an unclean spirit came out from the tombs towards him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could secure him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been secured with fetters and chains but had snapped the chains and broken the fetters and no one had the strength to control him. All night and all day among the, among the tombs and in the mountains he would howl and gash himself with stones. What a frightening thing. A man living in graveyards, uh, living in the mountains, shouting, howling, screaming, day and night, day and night, cutting himself with stones. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and fell at his feet and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear by God, you will not torture me. Interesting, isn't it? This man who was possessed by demons, who had never in his whole life seen Jesus, immediately recognizes who he is, even though his apostles and his disciples and the leaders of the people don't know who Jesus is. So back to our story now. He, he runs up and shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear by God, you will not torture me. For Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. What is your name, Jesus asked. My name is Legion, he answered, for there are many of us. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the district. Now there was there on the mountainside a great herd of pigs feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the pigs, let us go into them. So he gave them leaf. With that, the unclean spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd of about 2,000 pigs charged down the cliff into the lake, and there they were drowned. Now, you know, there's an awful lot going on here, and I may not be able to get into all the details. Perhaps you're wondering to yourself how come um, because of the action of the devil going into the pigs the pigs charged down the cliff into the sea and were drowned well maybe it shows us the true nature of the devil that uh, his desire is to kill us and if it weren't for the restraining hand of God perhaps all of us would be uh, victims of, of Satan who is against life in every way, shape, or form. And then you might wonder, too, did Jesus ruin the economy of the area? Um, here are 2,000 pigs, which represents a great deal of money, and now they're all dead. Well, I can't explain it to you other than to say to you that uh, from Jesus' point of view, the life of a man is... Uh, of much more value than all the pigs in the universe. I can also say 
that uh, the life of any individual is more important to God than all the gold in the universe and, and the universe itself. So anyway, back to our story here. Um, the pigs, as you remember, charged down the cliff into the lake and there they were drowned. The swineherds ran off and told their story in the town and in the country round about, and the people came to see what had really happened. They came to Jesus and saw the possessed man sitting there, clothed and in his full senses, the very man who had had the legion of demons in him before, and they were afraid. And those who had witnessed it reported what had happened to the possessed man and what had become of the pigs. Then they began to implore Jesus to leave the neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged to be allowed to stay with him. Jesus would not let him, but said to him, Go home to your people and tell them all that the Lord in his mercy has done for you. So he went off and proceeded to spread throughout the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Now, looking at this passage again, just a little detail here. Even though these people, I suppose possessed by greed or whatever, uh, told Jesus to leave uh, their area, not come back, Jesus did not abandon him them because he told the possessed man to stay with them and keep telling the story of what Jesus had done for him among the people. And perhaps in that way, many of them would come to believe in God and believe in Jesus. So you see even here that Jesus, who was a Jew and an Orthodox Jew, uh, reached out even to the Gentiles, the Samaritans, the people who were unclean, uh, to bring them too into the kingdom of God, because that's the will of the all-holy God. However, um, so we have here then another example of the devil believing in God. Now, just in case you have a pencil handy and you want to go back and check these passages for yourself, um, they are Genesis chapter 3, James in the New Testament chapter 2, and Mark chapter 5. Having said that, that the devil believes in God, we now need perhaps to take a little look at uh, what God says about himself, what he is truly like. I'm taking you now to the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Um, Jesus associated with a lot of what we would call bad people or sinners. And the leaders of the Jewish people were, well, they were shocked by uh, Jesus' behavior. Now, again, I'm turning some pages, so I hope they don't make too much of a racket on this tape. Okay, now, the story I'm going to tell you might be familiar to you. It's the story of about a lost sheep. The tax collectors and the sinners, meanwhile, were all seeking Jesus' company to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the leaders of the people, complained, This man, Jesus, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Isn't that lovely? that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. I'd feel at home in his company, to tell you the truth. So he spoke this parable to them. He said, What man among you, if he had a hundred sheep, and he lost one of them, would he not leave the ninety-nine in the desert in a safe place and go in search of the lost sheep? And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and he would carry it home rejoicing. 
Then he would call in all his friends and neighbours and he says to them, Come rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And Jesus went on to say, In the same way I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over ninety-nine virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Now this is a very simple story. Uh, basic, a man has a hundred sheep, loses one of them, so he searches high and low, north, south, east and west for the last sheep. And eventually when he finds it, I imagine sick and weary the sheep being, that he doesn't scold it or reprimand it or whatever, but he puts it on his shoulders and carries it home rejoicing, rejoicing. And he calls in his friends and neighbours and says, let's boogie, let's boogie woogie, let's, let's rejoice, let's jump up and down, let's have a party, because I found the sheep that was lost. Now, the lost sheep is obviously an image of the person who is lost in sin or lost in, in, uh, in anything, in depression, uh, lost in despair. And Jesus is telling us that, that, that God is, is so interested in us that he pursues us uh, like a shepherd would pursue a lost sheep. And you notice there's no scolding of the lost sheep. And then Jesus gives us that great moral of the story. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 virtuous people who have no need of repentance. Now, I have a couple of uh, little stories. Um, these are not necessarily out of the Bible, but they illustrate the same reality. There's a priest in our diocese um, called Father Ray O'Leary, and Father O'Leary is from Toowoomba. Now, where do you think Toowoomba is? You probably think it's in Africa. Well, it isn't. Toowoomba is in Australia. And Father O'Leary, Ray O'Leary, was stationed with me uh, in Lakeland, Florida. And one day, sitting at dinner, uh, we got talking, and he mentioned that um, when he was growing up in Australia, that he had, as a pet, a baby kangaroo. And I was very fascinated with this, naturally enough. And he explained to me that a baby kangaroo was called the Joey. And he told me that, um, as a teenage boy in Australia, that at the end of the day, he'd go outside his house and he'd have an old burlap sack. And he'd shout, Joey. And at this stage, his baby kangaroo would come hopping and bounding across the fields. And when he got within uh, 10 feet of Ray O'Leary, he would f jump right up into the air and somersault down into the open mouth of the burlap sack that, that Ray O'Leary was holding in his hands. And then Ray would hang the sack up on the door and Joy would sleep through the night. Now, it dawned on me that if Jesus had been an Australian, for instance, uh, he might have said, if somebody asked him, what is God like? He might have said, the kingdom of God is like unto a joy sack that I am holding out for you to jump into. A simple little message here. And when you jump into this uh, joy sack, I will wash you clean of all your sins and I will bring you safely to heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is like unto a joy sack. Um, another little image, this comes out of my own Irish uh, culture again, and 
it's a very homey kind of an image, so I hope you'll be uh, patient with me as I explain it to you. Uh, about six years ago, three years again before my mother died, I was on vacation in Dublin, Ireland, and um, I came down one morning time into the kitchen, and my mother was sitting at the table with her hand covering her mouth. And I says to her, uh, good morning, Kate. And without taking her hand away from her mouth, which was highly unusual, she said, good morning. And I said, well, what's wrong? And she said, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, I lost my false teeth. And the poor woman was so embarrassed, uh, hiding her mouth all the time. So I asked the usual stupid question, well, where did you lose your false teeth? If she knew that, they wouldn't be lost, would they? But anyway, you know, sometimes we ask stupid questions. So she said to me anyway, I, I've, I've been praying to St. Anthony to help me to find the false teeth. Now, for many uh, Catholic people, St. Anthony is the patron saint of lost articles. And my mother, God rest her soul, had a great devotion to St. Anthony. And she said all the time, keeping her mouth covered, you know, St. Anthony has never failed me. I've prayed to him all my life whenever I lost anything, and now he's failed me. And she was in a bad state about this. So she said to me, please say a prayer to St. Anthony that I find my false teeth. Now, to tell you the truth, I have no particular devotion to St. Anthony, but right there in my mind I said, for God's sake, St. Anthony, would you help the woman to find her teeth? She's been praying to you year after year after year. And then out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a pair of my mother's shoes over in the corner of the kitchen. And lo and behold, there was a handkerchief uh, in the shoes. And I says to her, what's that in your shoes over there? And she said, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, it's my teeth. It's my teeth. Apparently, she had uh, wrapped her false teeth up in a handkerchief and uh, she was struggling to come down the stairs because she was um, a full-scale invalid. She had taken her shoes off and carried them in her hands. And so the mystery was cleared up and she retrieved the teeth, uh, put them back in her mouth, and she was happy again. Now, I imagine um, Jesus, again, had he been Irish, and you probably are saying, thank God he wasn't, but anyway, had he been Irish, he might easily have said, um, the kingdom of God is like a woman who loses her false teeth, and she searches every place. Uh, she searches in her dresses and all the pockets of her dresses, and she uh, looks under all the beds and she throws out the trash and sorts through it to see can she find it and she takes her flashlight and looks into the commode and can't find them any place and finally after searching and searching and searching and praying to all the saints and angels um, she finds her teeth and she's happy again. Well that's the basic image here that Jesus is giving us of God that God is searching. He is searching to bring back the sheep, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that he's searching for you and he's searching for me because it is not his will that any one of us should be lost. Now, I'm just going to um, read you a little passage uh, from the scripture that highlights it again. Now, this particular next passage, I'm going to take it from the Gospel of John and it's about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now, we all have um, sins of one kind or another, and 
you know, our, our sins, I'm sure, are offensive to God, but when we repent of them, um, then he forgives us. So now listen to this particular passage, and we'll be finishing basically with this. Um, At daybreak, Jesus appeared in the temple area again, and as all the people came to him, he sat down and began to teach them. Now, for reasons God alone knows, Jesus has taken to the streets uh, outside the temple. Um, In the temple area, he used to preach down by the seaside, etc., etc., the leaders of the people brought a woman along who had been caught committing adultery. Now, don't ask me where the man was. I don't know. Maybe he jumped out the window and ran off stark naked, the first streaker in the Bible. Who knows? But anyway, this poor woman has been caught committing adultery and making her stand there in full view of everyone, they said to Jesus, Master, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery, and Moses has ordered us in the law to condemn women like this to death by stoning. What have you to say? They asked him this as the test, looking for something to use against him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. As they persisted with their question, he looked up and said, If there is one of you who has not sinned, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and wrote on the ground again. When they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest, until Jesus was left alone with the woman, who remained standing there. He looked up and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go away and don't sin any more. This same Jesus who forgave the adulterous woman is saying to you and I, if we repent, neither do I condemn you. Commit this sin no more. Well, thank you for listening to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, for unbelievers. My name is Patrick J. O'Doherty. I'm a priest and a recovering sinner. I'm the pastor of Queen of Peace Catholic Church on State Road 200. That's on Ocala, Florida in the United States of America, in the Western Hemisphere, in the world, in the universe, and in the mind of God. Shalom. Faith Fit Radio and the Dice of Orlando presented Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.